yo what's up guys welcome back to episode 14 of the concession stand we did take a long break but we are back at it again with the original crew with the ditya rohit and i so i think we'll get right into the first topic so we're starting off with the nba and it's in full force with the playoffs starting this week and we're just trying to go through the storylines of the biggest things going on and then just hear our thoughts on it. So we're going to start off with the three teams with the highest odds to win the NBA title have split their series one and one in the first two games, which are the Lakers, Clippers, and Bucks. Among the three, who do you think is at the most risk to not make the finals or even make it past the first round? I'll start with Aditya. All right. Out of these three teams, I'm going to have to take the Lakers as the team that's most at risk. I think mo- that also comes down to the fact that their opposition is going to be the toughest. I mean, right now it's already the toughest with the Trailblazers, having Damian Lillard, who's on fire besides last night. Uh, they've also got CJ McCollum, of course, Yusuf Nurkic coming back, and Hassan Whiteside now, who's who's been better defensively during this series. But, I mean, yesterday was just a poor offensive game for the Blazers all around. You can't put that down to, like, them being a weak opposition now for the Lakers. As for the Clippers and Bucks, I think that their losses were simply just off games for them. Whereas the Lakers, they played they played well last night, but I mean, especially with LeBron having ten points. But who knows if they can keep that up? They don't really have that sort of consistency, and they don't they definitely don't have the depth that the Clippers or Bucks have now. For sure, I think I think definitely the Lakers are at the biggest risk of not being the finals purely because. Their their path to their finals is potentially the, the most difficult out of the three. Like they have, they have the Blazers first round, and then if they make it past the Blazers, probably have to play the Rockets, which is another matchup night for another matchup nightmare with with um, former MVPs James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And then if they make the finals, they'll pro- they'll have to play assuming the Clippers. But I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you about the Clippers just having an off night. I think the Bucks definitely was an off night. I think they're gonna beat the Magic in five. And they might have a problem with Miami second round, but I think they can still get through Miami. But the Clippers, I think they're also potentially at risk of losing to the Mavericks because the Mavericks, in my opinion, should be 2-0 and because they were up when before Porzingis got ejected in game one. And then in game two, they just came out and dominated. So I think, I think the Clippers aren't, like, guaranteed to make the finals or Western Conference finals. But I, but I think that the Lakers are still a bit – more at risk of losing on the Clippers. Yeah, I'm agreeing with uh, Rohit a little bit here. So for me, I would say the Lakers are at most risk of not making the finals purely to the reasons mentioned already, like Dame and everything, like with the uh, with him going off bubble MVP. But I still don't think he has enough to carry that Trailblazers team with based off of what we saw, especially because if the Blazers aren't able to play defense, they're not going to make it like past the Lakers because as you saw in the first game too yes they won but it was a tough gritty win that took Dame human Dane's Dame superhuman ability to hit court uh, hit shots from half court to and then Melo's clutch three at the end to really take that win and then you saw here in the second game just the Lakers absolutely obliterated them even with LeBron only scoring 10 points the Blazers had no defense whatsoever and the Lakers were just exploiting that, especially with AD and without Dame and that superhuman offensive capability, unless he gets hot, they really have nothing else. So I think 
But I feel like for the first round, only the Clippers have the toughest first round because of the superpower in Dontich and Porzingis. I think that's going to be the toughest uh, round for the Clippers, maybe even going all the way up to the finals. Yeah, going back to what Rowan said, I can see where you're coming from with how the Clippers, uh, they didn't have an off night, I guess you could say. Like, they actually have good opposition in the Mavericks. And, like, yeah, I agree with you there. They have the best offense in the NBA, and they're hitting the second most threes behind the Rockets. But I think that the Clippers still have a defensive ability that's superior. And they also have Kawhi Leonard, who can take them over the top for sure. I'm sure Paul George hasn't had a great series so far, but you know, the best is yet to come from him, in my opinion. So I think the Clippers can still overcome the Mavericks, but it should be a challenge for them. Now, I mean, you said it yourself. Paul George has been very underwhelming in the playoffs. And, and I don't know what you've seen from him that makes you think that eventually he'll come around. But, but Paul George hasn't been dominant in the playoffs since back in his Indiana days. Uh, when he was with OKC, he was pretty un- underwhelming. He didn't make out the first round there. Um, Kawhi Leonard, sure, he's a, he's, he's a finals MVP last year, but but I think we might be overlooking Kawhi's ability at this point just because he he went he made the finals with he, he, he won he won the finals with Toronto, but you have to remember he had Pascal Siakam in the finals who who dropped like thirty a couple of games and and he beat basically a crippled Warriors team. So it, so I mean it's still impressive winning a championship, but. But, but you can't automatically assume that Kawhi Leonard can be that guy to just carry a team like the Clippers. I mean, who, who do have talent, but, but, we still have yet, but we're still yet to see the Clippers with no injuries, playing, playing like super fluid, having good chemistry and all that. So I, so I still think that the Mavericks ha- have a shot at taking off the Clippers first round. Yeah, for sure. I agree with Rohit there. However, I still think the Clippers' path to the finals would be generally easier than Lakers if they get past the first round. And then if we go towards the East, more the Bucks. we all know came one magic beating the Raptors last year and now the Bucks this year. I think the Bucks are going to take that in five, no problem, especially after last night's outing. However, for the Clippers, it's just going to be a back and forth. I think the the Mavericks could easily take it to six or seven games. As for the Lakers and Blazers, I don't really know what to see there because of the inconsistency that the Blazers showed, especially you don't know how severe Dame's injury is. So depending on that, I could see the Lakers winning in six or I could see the Blazers even taking the seven if they show that offensive superpower day in and day out, which is really difficult to do. I definitely agree with you that the Clippers have a generally are, are generally an easier path to the finals, but but I still think just focusing on this first round, the Clippers haven't played much together with their full team playing. Like they load manage a lot through the season, um, so I still think they have to get the chemistry down. And going to the Bucks, I don't think the Bucks is like a super like I, I, at this point in the playoffs, I don't think the Bucks are guaranteed to make the finals because of Chris Middleton's underwhelming play too. He, what, he dropped like two game. He he dropped two points yesterday, um, and that's a guy who was rated a top ten NBA player by Bleacher Report. So if a two point game makes you a top ten player in the NBA, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what qualifies a top twenty player, top thirty player. But I think if Chris Middleton continues to underperform in the playoffs. 
I think the Bucks will get wiped out second round by the Heat. That's interesting. Uh, what makes you think that the Bucks will get knocked out in the second round? If Chris Middleton continues to underperform, the first the first playoff game, he, I, I guess imagine he had like, I think he was like less than ten points still. Last last game, game two, he had two points, and the only reason the um, Bucks won was because of the good performance by um, Eric Bledsoe, Dante DiVincenzo. So I think Giannis needs that um, like solid Robin to his Batman in order to take out the Heat, who have proven to give the Bucks problems in the regular season. I think when looking at the Heat-Bucks matchup, assuming the Heat do get past the Pacers, which in this case I do see it, I think the Heat will get past the six, uh, sorry, the Pacers in maybe six games, maybe even five. I still think the Pacers are going to get a couple, but I think the Heat will easily manage through. But looking at that matchup, you have Jimmy Butler, who's going to probably be guarding what Middleton let's say if Middleton is underperforming like this with a magic team who doesn't even have Aaron Gordon or Jonathan Isaac not necessarily that they will be guarding Middleton but more of the overall magic team who has lost two of their probably top arguably three or four best players that's going to be a tough stretch because Giannis is going to have to take that load himself and as we saw in the playoffs last year Giannis can't really do that. Like, if the whole defense is centered around him, he needs those shooters, and he needs everybody else to contribute. And I just don't think Middleton can use do that. I mean, I mean, like, that's what I'm saying. I mean, we've seen the blueprint to defeat the Bucks. It's to wall off Giannis when he's driving, force him to pass it out, and force his teammates to make threes. So if you have the other all-star on that Bucks team, Chris Middleton, who's shooting one for eight and getting two points – that takes off a bit less pressure for the defenders to go out to the three-point line when, when, when they know Chris Middleton. I mean, yeah, he was a 50-40-90 guy in the regular season, but if he continues to perform like this in the playoffs, it, it'll give Giannis a much harder time to drive and kick it out, and it'll give the Bucks a much harder time to win against a team like the Heat, who, who've proven to be very versatile. They have Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, two solid defenders. So I think I think the X factor for the Bucks here is Chris Middleton. Yeah, I just wanted to go off your point about what you said about Chris Middleton. If he's only getting eight shots in a game, uh, the, he can definitely scheme around you know, Chris Middleton better than what the Magic have done, I mean, just based off the talent that they have. If Chris Middleton's getting eight shots in a game against the Magic, it could get a lot worse against the Heat for sure, especially because you said he got two points. That could, be, that could be the case for the whole series against the Heat if, um, if he's not improving. Yeah, for sure. And go and we're, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Speaking off that eight shots, low shots, we'll go look at the Celtics versus Sixers series. Game one, Embiid took, I believe it was, he made like all five of his shots or something in the first quarter, and he had like 10 shots the rest of the game. I don't know what Brett Braun is necessarily doing this, doing this because Embiid has a great matchup against all the Celtics big men. And Although he keeps on getting, keeps on performing, and he shows that I think Brent Brown really needs him because he really needs to carry the Sixers if they have any chance to get past the Celtics. Yeah, I mean the Sixers. I think they're gonna have some big changes in the off season this year. I mean, if you see your star, your franchise player with his head with his head in his hands at the end of a game, 
you know something's wrong with your team. And I don't think it all falls on Joel Embiid. I mean, you said it yourself. Uh, he, he played average game one. He said he's going to be more aggressive game two. He, he, he did exactly that, but they still got blown out by the Celtics without a Gordon Hayward. So I think at some point you have to blame it on Brett Brown. I mean, I mean, this guy does not know how to uh, work different matchups. You saw, you saw Brad Stevens just simply out-coach him in game two without Gordon Hayward. Um, I, think, I, I think some other pieces falls on ownership and, and um, general management too. I mean, what are you doing paying Tobias Harris $180 million and giving Al Horford a max contract when he's like when he's towards the end of his career and letting go of J.J. Reddick and Jimmy Butler? So I think the Sixers are going to have a complete different roster and new coaching staff come next year. Um, and I think the Celtics will definitely get the series. No doubt. The first order of business for the Sixers this offseason, fire Brett Brown. That's just a given at this point. Uh, just looking back at the Sixers' playoff losses over the years, 2018, you could say their team was too young. Last year, Embiid wasn't 100%. This year, Simmons is out for the season. Uh, it's just it's horrible for the Sixers because they've tanked for so many years. They've accumulated so many draft picks. And just to see their team you know, come up short year after year now, you know, how much more can they really take? I mean, something's, something big has to happen. And if it's not Brett Brown getting fired, it's probably either Embiid or Simmons getting traded. I don't know who would take on – Tobias Harris at this point with his contract, or even Al Horford. So they're, they're pretty much stuck there for the long run. As far yeah, as I that's ex- Yeah, that's exactly the problem here. I think not even Brett Brown, as you were saying, I think it could be a problem with Simmons and Embiid. Simmons being out is not the only reason the Sixers are falling short. It's because they have no one really else, that second option to really take that extra step instead of Embiid. Because at this point, just literally give Embiid the ball, let him do his thing and hope he outscores the whole Celtics team, which is not going to happen, especially with Tatum, Brown, Kemba, and all those, and then decent bench players as well off the, for the Celtics. I think it's more of a question for the Sixers if Simmons and Embiid can really work together. Because although they have a mediocre uh, regular season, I'm not really sure if it's in the best interest for the Sixers to keep both of them, especially as you were saying earlier with Tobias Harris getting all-star money playing a not barely a role player and then Al Horford basically coming off the bench as we saw in game two. For sure. We gotta I guess we gotta wait till the offseason to see what happens to the Sixers. But focusing on the other team in that series, the Celtics lost Gordon Hayward in game one of that matchup for at least four weeks due to a grade three ankle sprain after tripping on Joel Embiid's um, foot. So as both the Raptors have a 3-0 lead in their series and the Celtics have a 2-0 series nearly at this time, as both those teams look to play each other in round two, do you think that Boston can beat Toronto in a second-round matchup without the former All-Star? DJ, what what do you think? It's going to be tough, no doubt. I mean, the Raptors, they've done well, albeit against a a weak next team, but, you know, they still have the depth and they still have a very well-coached team. They're able to wall off any center that they want at this point. So to have a scorer missing like Gordon Hayward, who could really overcome, you know, whatever the Raptors do on defense, uh, it's going to be tough to beat the defending champions. I, I could see the Celtics taking them to seven. Uh, maybe they get beaten in six, but most likely taking, taking them to seven games. I could see them losing, though, against Toronto. Yeah, uh, the Toronto uh, Celtics matchup is definitely going to be interesting, especially as Toronto 
also, as you mentioned, a good coach. And I think for the Celtics mainly, it's really going to be based off of their bench performance as well as to see how uh, Kemba Walker especially can step up because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been doing the thing and Kemba has been providing that role. But I think Kemba would match up a little uh, matchups pretty decently with the Raptors guards, but it's definitely based off of the Celtics bench and see how good can Brad Stevens coach, especially losing a great wing player like Gordon Hayward, even though he's not used as much to his potential or played the, the big time minutes. I still think with the Raptors depth, it's really up to the uh, bench to see what they can do. I would actually take Boston in the series. I mean, I mean, I mean, the one concern I have is just Toronto, Toronto's front court with Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, and Marcus All. That's a very formidable front court, which will pose a problem for the Celtics. But at the same time, I still favor the Celtics just because of their plethora of scores and wings. Still without Gordon Hayward, they still have J- J- Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, and. I, and I think we're overlooking Kemba Walker's capabilities here. I mean, this man literally carried a franchise in the Charlotte Hornets to the playoffs like four years ago. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, they were the cornerstones of, of, of the team two years ago when they when they took the team to the Eastern Conference Finals. And, he, and, and, and during that playoff run, we saw the coaching brilliance of Brad Stevens, so I think can adapt and take out the Raptors, even without Gordon Hayward. And I think part of that does, like you said, obviously fall on the bench. I think if we see some of the bench players like Marcus Smart and his Cantor show up, I think the Celtics, or I'm sure the Celtics will definitely beat the Raptors second round. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from. I, I definitely think the series is going to be close. I still can't pinpoint a winner. If I were to say a winner, I'd probably say the Raptors in seven. However, that's also wishy-washy. I think, as I was mentioning, it would be the bench. Like, I understand the Kemba situation. We just got to figure out uh, – the Celtics, sorry, have to figure out how they're going to stop the Pascal Siakam, especially as they struggle against those bigger players, such as Embiid, as we see he's dropping, like, 30 a game, still losing, though. But I, I don't think – although Gordon Hayward's impact will be missed, I don't think it's as – high as some people make it out to be. I still think the Celtics can still manage without him. I, I don't even know what side you're on. You're going back and forth. You're picking the Celtics one, one, one sentence and saying the Raptors second sentence. So, so, um, so I'm assuming you, you, you predict the Raptors to win. So I want you to focus on the Raptors and tell me why you think Toronto is going to beat Boston. Well, that, like I mentioned earlier, the bench. Just Toronto is too deep especially Pascal Siakam, like I just said just said earlier. The Celtics have always struggled against the bigs. So I think, especially with also Van Fleet and Lowry, just the depth that Toronto has, and as well as paired with the good coaching, as opposed to the Sixers' poor coaching, I definitely think Toronto can take this seriously. Uh, the series, however, it is going to be close, no doubt about that. But I still think Toronto has the edge. Well, yeah, right. coaching. I think Boston can can match with Brad Stevens because we've seen his brilliance time after time. So I think the I mean the bench the bench may be a problem, but we've seen Boston adapt to having sort of a, a thin roster with with um with like spreading out their players 
Like, um, they they always have either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown on the floor, or or both of them at once, and then and, and they stagger like Marcus Smart, Campbell Walker. So I think having those two stars, like one or two stars on the court at a single time, that's that's that that that's basically all Boston needs because we've seen because they 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 got the three seed doing that. So I think, or I'm I'm sure the Celtics won't have a problem with having a thin bench going against Toronto's deep bench. Yeah, I mean, definitely, it's going to be interesting to see how the Celtics match up against the Raptors. They're now going back on the Raptors. They've taken a 3-0 series lead against the Nets. Which team in the East do you think has the best chance of stopping them? Avishak, I'll start with you. For the best chance of stopping them, I would probably say it's either the Celtics or the Bucks. How I think the Celtics pose a matchup, as Rohit was mentioning. You think I'm going back and forth. I'm still taking the Raptors, but I think the Celtics are still going to pose a threat to them. But I maybe on the other side, the Bucks would pose a bigger threat to them. As we see in the regular season two, it was always a close matchup in that sense, especially with Giannis. I'm not really sure what they're going to do in that sense. But yeah, I would say Bucks or Celtics. I think it's a no-brainer. I think it's definitely the Bucks. I mean, I'll take the Celtics as a close second, but the best chance of stopping them is definitely the Bucks. Uh, I don't like how we changed the narrative here of who has the best chance of stopping the Raptors when all season long and right now it still should be who has the best chance of taking down the – oh, sorry. I don't like how the question is phrased is who has the best chance of taking down the Raptors when all season long and right now it's been who has the best chance of taking down the Bucks. Sure, the Raptors are 3-0 and against – are up 3-0 against the Nets, but I think part of that is them playing, in my opinion, the worst team in the playoffs right now. I would – I would think the Magic are better than the Nets at this point because the Nets lost Joe Harris. They obviously don't have their – like half their starting lineup. So I, I don't think it's all that impressive that the Raptors are up 3-0. I think it's expected. Um, but with that being said, I um, – like just to answer the question, I, I, I think the Bucks definitely have the best chance of taking down the Raptors. Yeah, I don't mean like to start the Raptors as if to say they're the best contender, but definitely they're one of the teams on the best – you know, like the best form right now. Like they have a very good record in the bubble. I think they were seven and one. And now of course they're three oh up in the series. Uh I can also agree with you. I'll say that the Bucks have a good chance of stopping the Raptors. But it's going to be interesting to see how the Bucks can avoid a repeat of last season. Just to see how their system will change in order to get Giannis his space and how the Raptors will be able to stop him just as they did last year. So uh I'll take the Bucks for now, but you know, they might not be in the finals. Yeah, uh, going off what you said, I think part of that, again, falls on the play of Chris Middleton and, and, and the other role players on the Bucks. Because, like I said, Toronto showed us the blueprint to, to, to defeating the Bucks, and that's closing off when Giannis drives, force other players to make a shot. So, again, if so, assuming Chris Middleton, George Hill, um, Brooke Lopez, all these guys play like they have been all season long, I don't think it'll be too hard for the Bucks to beat the Raptors. Yeah, they, de- they definitely need Chris Middleton to come back to his regular season form. And, of course, you said, like, Brooke Lopez, the big, also has to perform as well because the Raptors do have skill in stopping bigs. Just today, they stopped Jared Allen. Earlier in the season, they stopped Valanciunas and Embiid. They held both to zero points in a game. So, uh, Brooke Lopez definitely has to be effective from the three and also be able to rebound, although he's not a skilled rebounder, for that matter. But he needs to do better. 
in order to have a chance against the Raptors. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to go on over to the Western Conference with the Nuggets and Jazz matchup. They've had a pretty exciting series this far. Uh, currently, at the time of recording, the series is a 1-1 series tie. Donovan Mitchell has been a huge factor in this series. He dropped, I think, like 52 game one. Uh, and, and that was without Mike Conley. So now with Mike Conley, who's scheduled to return for game three, Abhishek, what do you think are the odds that the Jazz can cause an upset and take out the Nuggets? Um, I think they're pretty high. I, I originally, looking at the series before the series even started, I was thinking this was going to be a close series and it is going to go to seven, especially with Mike Conley back. I definitely think that opposes a threat to the Nuggets guards. we got to see how Jamal Murray steps up into that role. But as we speak, game three is going on, and Jazz really have a formidable lead almost nearing the end of the second quarter. So I definitely think the Jazz have a really high chance to knock off the Nuggets here. Uh, I'm going to have to disagree. I don't think that the Jazz can cause an upset on the Nuggets just based on Mike Conley going back. He has been excellent in the regular season. And even though the Jazz have taken a great lead in game three, I think that the Nuggets will still be able to come back and – maybe force the series to seven games. Uh, Mike Conley has performed excellently in the regular season, and Donovan Mitchell, of course, cannot shoulder the whole scoring load, even with Jordan Clarkson having the occasional good game. Um, the Nuggets have better depth, in my opinion. Like, they have Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr. who stood out, and Jamal Murray, who had clutch shots in game one in order to take them over the line. So I'm going to have to say that the Nuggets will win this series and that the Jazz, they'll try again next year for sure. They they have Bojan Bogdanovic coming back, and they can be better next year. But just for this year, I don't think so. All right, here's my problem with that. I mean, you said – I mean, yeah, obviously it's not going to be a walk in the park for either team in this series. But um, I would still think the Jazz. And I want to go to your point about the Nuggets having more depth. Sure, they do have more depth. Actually, I actually really like their roster. A lot of players are underrated on that team. But a lot of them just aren't consistent. Uh, we saw Jamal Murray – and Donovan Mitchell have that duel in game one where they're going back and forth. But but we're yet to see Jamal Murray sustain that type of play for – sustain that type of all-star play for a type – for like a whole – for a whole season, let alone a whole series. So – and, and yeah, the the Nuggets do have good players like in um, Jokic, Will Barton, and, and um, among others. But I think – the Jazz match up well. I mean, they have Rudy Gobert, who's a former defensive player. Uh, they have Michael Conley and Donovan Mitchell, obviously, who can um, who can defend Jamal Murray, Will Barton, and all those guys. So I would still definitely think the Jazz can take this in. I'll take the Jazz in the six, honestly. Hmm. I mean, I, I can kind of see it, but the Jazz did cool off a little bit in the bubble. I still think that the Nuggets have enough talent to take them past the Jazz, but I think the series should definitely be close. I'd say it's going to at least six games, if not seven. The Nuggets definitely have a lot of scoring options, and as you said, Jamal Murray hasn't quite been that consistent at a high level, but I still think that with the occasional good game, he can definitely help the Nuggets uh, get wins. So I'm going to still take the Nuggets, probably in seven, though, now. Yeah, I I see where you're coming from, Aditya, but I don't think the Nuggets can actually – I'm saying Jazz in six or seven because of the fact – yes, you mentioned Mike Conley coming back may not be enough, but have you – looking off of game one and game two, you're missing out that Joe Ingles has, 
also played a big part in the Jazz if for both of their games. Although they did lose in game one, it was an overtime loss, so it was still a close game. Joe Ingles dropped 19 points there. Go back to game two, which the Jazz really blew him up by 19. Joe Ingles dropped another 18. So he's been very consistent at that role player. And right now the Jazz are winning by like 56 to 32. So they have a huge lead right now on the Nuggets as well. So I definitely think the Jazz are in a stronghold. Yeah, in all likelihood, the Jazz are going up 2-1 in this series. Uh, it'll definitely it'll definitely be interesting to see how the series goes on. But I'll still, hit, I'll still take the Nuggets in seven just because the Jazz don't have the consistency that I can see. But the Nuggets also don't have a great deal of consistency. But they can still, they can still have the talent to bring them over the line, in my opinion. Thank you for listening to episode 14 of The Concession Stand. To watch more, subscribe to us on YouTube. And also listen to our podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Music, and other platforms. Be sure to like our YouTube videos, subscribe to our channel again, share this with your friends, and have a great day. Happy listening.